0: Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, the eighth chapter, verses 26 through 40. Hear now the word of the Lord. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask? Does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else. Then Philip began to speak and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news of Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he was passing through the region, He proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
1: Welcome again. Thank you so much for joining uh, in worship with Peachtree Christian Church. Uh, As we turn to this text, uh, let us join in prayer. Spirit of God, who calls us, who snatches us away, pray that you would open the scriptures to us, even if it takes us to the edge of the wilderness, to the edge of our comfort and familiarity, and we might hear the gospel and be joined together in the body of the Son, in whose name we pray together. Amen. The last time I visited my hometown in central Illinois, as I turned off the exit of the freeway onto a two-lane country highway, I was swept away um, by the landscape, the beauty of it, which might sound surprising to many of you. It's mostly just corn. I've seen it and said it before, but this time I was especially overwhelmed by what I've heard called the imposing sky of that region. No hills and few trees, just horizon on all sides, nowhere to hide. Uh, Reverend Stone has told me that her husband once said, of the very area that I grew up, in, that if you gave him a can of tuna to stand on, he could see another ten miles. Thanks, thanks, Jim. <laughs> I think it's funny. On one of these two-lane country roads, you might not see another car for miles, then off far in the distance, you can see maybe a tiny dot appear. And because you might be the only two vehicles on the road, and you can see someone coming from so far off, there's enough time to create uh, a feeling of anxiety, even feeling exposed. See, Atlanta, traffic doesn't really require you to make much eye contact, but how do I greet this passing stranger when we're the only two in sight? Uh, So early on, as a teenager, I learned the Midwest ritual known as the farmer wave. It goes like this. Just like that. Only and exactly half the hand... It was almost a daily occurrence to share this gentle gesture of recognition and go separate ways down the road. And this is something like the scene that is set for us by the author in Acts in our story this morning. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. Philip is not given a destination, only a direction and a landscape toward the wilderness road. Philip is not going about his daily business and then being told to look up. Look over there. This is elsewhere. This is a quest. So Philip gets up and goes. And like the lone driver on a long state highway, behold, an Ethiopian eunuch a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. They are alone on this wilderness road, but this is not like greeting a familiar farmer with a two and a half finger wave. This encounter will require more. Because every descriptor of this character that is given alerts the reader that something different is happening, something that pulls us to the edge of our comfort zone. Despite this multifaceted description, the author hereafter refers only to the eunuch, which may indicate that this is the most important identity for the story. I'll try to use tact in unpacking this. In the ancient world, eunuchs were commonly employed or used in royal courts and bedchambers of rulers. Especially when made eunuchs before maturity, they were seen as less risky officials who could be trusted to oversee households, including women and treasuries. They also served as rulers' representatives who, because of their ambiguous gender, were able to move in spaces and in company that the rulers could not. And again, without delving into details or descriptions, eunuchs were destabilizing the customary sense of what it meant to be male or female. Ancient authors struggled to designate and define their gender as well as their sexuality. The eunuch's presence, the eunuch's body challenged what was considered normal and natural and especially challenged ancient constructions of Masculinity, both Greco Roman and Jewish. And even the other identifiers given for this person in the story seem intentionally ambiguous. He clearly enjoys riches and responsibility. He oversees the treasury and is riding in a chariot with a scroll, which would have been a rare possession. And yet, in the ancient world, the eunuch was what has been called the ultimate servant. He was likely dark-skinned and came from Ethiopia, probably closer to modern-day Sudan, and commonly considered the exotic edge of the earth by ancient writers, provoking much fascination. But he also came to Jerusalem to worship and is reading from the Hebrew prophet. He appears to be what is known as a God-fearer, a Gentile who revered the Jewish God and faith but stopped short of certain ceremonial requirements. In the ancient eye, this is a Jew, but not a Jew, a man, but not a man, powerful, yet a servant. In every way, the eunuch resists being pinned down or categorized aside from the certainty that He is in every way on the outskirts, socially, religiously, ethnically, geographically, and more. This is, nevertheless, the singular person toward whom the Spirit moves Philip, pulling Philip from a growing ministry in Samaria out to the edge of nowhere. God says, this one. Given this ambiguous start, it makes sense that the story moves forward by questions. Every piece of dialogue in the story is phrased as a question, each one inviting us to follow the Spirit further into unknown territory, into uncertain situations, and most of all into intimate encounter with someone who is undeniably different. The first question. Do you understand what you are reading? Taken by itself, this may sound like a professor peering over glasses intimidating a freshman. So we should remember that it's being asked, or rather gasped, by someone jogging alongside a chariot in the desert in the heat of the day. Philip's position is more comical than condescending. He speaks not from a pulpit or a chalkboard or any place of authority, but in the wild, on the move, trying to keep up with this person whose every identity does not allow him comfort or control in the situation. The eunuch responds with a generous and gracious question of his own. How can I understand unless someone guides me? Here the eunuch shows not only humility, but hospitality, inviting this stranger who strides up in the middle of nowhere to join him, to sit beside him. See, the eunuch recognizes something that we often forget, that the text is not enough. Scripture needs interpretation. It requires us to read together. One of my favorite authors of all time is is Wendell Berry. He's well known across multiple genres of poetry, essays, and novels. Some of my favorite of his work is a series of novels all set in a, a fictional community on the Kentucky, of, Kentucky River known as Port William, which is based on uh, Barry's own community of Port Royal. The novels span generations of this community and its membership its pains, its joys, the shaping and reshaping of the land. I can't always convince uh, my wife, Caitlin, to read the things that I'm excited about, but uh, this one in particular, she did pick up one of the novels and, and loved it. And when we talked about it, she seemed to know things that I didn't. You see, Caitlin's family is from the neighboring county in Kentucky. So as she read, She could see and hear and even smell and feel things that I could not. The landscape, the people, the characteristics, customs, and mannerisms all meant something different to her. It matters with whom we listen to Scripture. And it matters to feel the effects of sharing space and sharing stories. And the, the passage that these two read together, sitting side by side, comes from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth." This one-on-one reading in the wild is the most isolated and intimate sharing of the gospel in Acts so far. Alone or even preaching before a crowd, Philip may have heard these words differently, but here, again, there is nowhere to hide. Philip indeed opens the scriptures to the eunuch, but the eunuch may have also brought new meaning to the scriptures for Philip, reading... Is seated next to this likely enslaved, dark-skinned eunuch, brings Philip into dialogue with entirely different histories, images, perspectives, and questions. And here is the eunuch's question: About whom does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? We should already realize that this passage is not just an academic curiosity to the eunuch. He has traveled from the edge of the earth to worship in Jerusalem. However, according to Deuteronomy 23, no one in this eunuch's physical state was allowed admittance to the assembly of the Lord. And even being Ethiopian would have kept him from entering fully into worship in the temple. So he may have reached out for an encounter with God only to find himself excluded by God's people for his race and for his offense to their understanding of gender. Now he travels back through the wilderness reading the prophet's painful words. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. The eunuch may be looking for himself in this story. Is this only a word about the past? Or does this mean something for me? He is seeking. Many of us come to the scriptures wondering how this ancient, confusing collection of texts is supposed to say something about me. And maybe the eunuch has even already read ahead. As only a few chapters later, in Isaiah, he goes on to proclaim, Do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. With this promise on the horizon of the text, the eunuch may be looking for hope, for belonging, for vindication from the suffering he reads in the earlier chapter and feels in himself. And so the Spirit sends Philip to him personally. The last two weeks we've heard the sermons of the early church. Today, however, we don't get to hear how Philip proclaims the good news of Jesus. We are given only questions and actions. The story invites us to recognize the gospel not in what words are spoken, but in the effect that they have, even if that effect, once begin begins with a question. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Now, the ancient reader knows full well that just about everything prevents this eunuch from being baptized. The author clearly stacks the odds against the eunuch from the beginning. But that doesn't seem to matter now. The answer is assumed. So whatever Philip said about the suffering and vindication of Jesus has dissolved barriers. It has liberated. It has transformed social assumptions and made a way to belong. It has given a confused and hurting person a reason to rejoice. This is what the gospel does. The eunuch sought sought God in the city, only to have God seek him in the wilderness, so that it is seen for certain that God desires the eunuch, not as part of a crowd, but in precisely, the particulars and paradoxes of who the eunuch is, this one. There is therefore no discussion about the layers of obstacles of ethnicity, gender, class, nor any other social or religious barrier. Instead, they stop the chariot. And the phrasing here emphasizes that both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water and came up out of the water. Just as the eunuch is transformed by responding to the gospel, so Philip is transformed, in some sense, by the gospel being embodied in this eunuch. Both experience the boundless desire of God. Acts as a series of such experiences of God's desire for humanity moving forward, outward, to embrace those who have been held at arm's length. Here we see the way the gospel begins to transform persons and communities through a willingness to draw near indifference and sit together, willingness to ask questions without assumptions, willingness to join God's relentless and loving quest to join humanity together in the body of Jesus, and ultimately a willingness to be moved both to awe and to action by the question, if this eunuch is baptized, then what is to prevent anyone whom the Spirit seeks to be joined to God? God's people.